up everybody thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of reasonably outrageous i am your host blake pace alongside co-host matt wyrick and we have been on a what two week hiatus matt how long has it been to this point oh man i think it has been about two weeks now i've been missing missing the pod man it's good to good to be back i've been yeah i've been missing your voice and of course you know i was talking (laughs) with matt last week this this extended break is mostly due to my my uh doing I've been in the midst of a move uh, from New York to Tennessee. Tomorrow is the final day where I do the dreaded 13-hour drive, but after that, I should be all settled and hopefully back on a more regular schedule, so exciting times are moving forward. Uh, but So glad we were able to get this episode in uh, to you guys on what would be uh, July 9th, Tuesday. Yeah, so speaking of Tuesdays, we're now going to be doing the show twice a week. I think just with both of our schedules, we figured it would be easier to come at you guys a little more consistently if we did it twice a week instead of three times. Uh, So we're going to hit Tuesday, Thursdays every week moving forward. So we'll usually be recording these on Mondays and Wednesday nights ahead of the Tuesday, Thursday day so that you can uh, have them on your morning commute or however you listen to it. So we're excited to kind of get back in the groove and, uh, you know, move ahead here. Oh, yeah, and as we're speaking, you know, right now, as we said, we're recording on a Monday night, the MLB Home Run Derby has started with Pete Alonso as the the Vegas favorite, according to Caesars, so if we have any fun stuff that pops up while we're doing this show, we'll probably talk about it for maybe a couple seconds, but yeah, yeah fun time. Yeah, I've got for, it on, uh, too. Oh, yeah, fun time for baseball with the Home Run Derby tonight, the All-Star Game tomorrow. I know you hate, I, we both do hate the format of the All-Star voting, but I, hopefully we don't talk too much about that today. Yeah, trust me, I could go on and on, but uh, I think I think a lot of people agree with me that the fan vote is dumb and it needs to be uh, reworked a little bit. Although I think the fans did a pretty good job this year putting the teams together, so I don't have a whole lot of complaints. I wish the Nats yeah. actually had a representative out there. Scherzer and Rendon are taking the game off, so they're not going to oh, have yeah. anybody playing. But um, you know, would have liked to see Juan Soto out there, but you can only you know complain so much. Right, yeah, because that was what I was going to ask, because I know we talked, you know, the last time we had talked uh, was, you know, maybe one of our last discussions, even if we were texting, was the initial MLB ballots where they got in the finalists, I guess, and they voted that. You didn't have too many complaints? No, I would have liked to see Fernando Tatis Jr. from the Padres Mm. out there. He's been absolutely awesome this year. Um, having an all-time rookie season, really coming on strong, you know, had missed some time with an injury, and I think that's what put him back in the voting. Um, but you know, to see a guy like Paul DeYoung on there from the Cardinals or DeJong, DeYoung, I'm not really sure. DeJong, but, yeah. You know, for him to be to be over Tatis, uh, you know, it's, it's almost a joke. I mean, I, I get Tatis hasn't played as many games, and sure, if that's for qualifier, then whatever. But I mean, if you're talking about getting the best young star talent on the rosters, I really think you got to have Tatis on there. Right. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have too many complaints either. I was glad that uh, Glaber Torres was able to get in there after kind of some of the injury replacements. That's another thing. You know, some of these guys will eventually find their way onto the rosters with all the injury replacements. And, I mean, even, you know, as of last night, Matt Chapman got thrown in there when uh, Christian Yelich was able to participate in the home run derby. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that was another guy that I was looking at, and not to show my Yankees bias, but that New York infield has been something special this year. 
And uh, <laughs> Gleyber Torres, Gleyber Torres has had an amazing season. Uh, so good that a couple Yankees got in there. I know we've got Sanchez and DJ LeMahieu both starting. Voight had to pull out because of his injury, and then I guess Glaber is in there as one of the reserves. The, the only thing, I will give you this. There's no reason Aaron Judge should be on the All-Star team this year. That yeah. is just kind oh of a little God. ridiculous. That's that's ridiculous. It's he not the fir- it's yeah, no, it's not the first time we've seen that. It's because these guys, I mean, come out, you know, strong out of the gate even with Judge having only played a few games. I mean, he's got that that star power. He's been an MVP candidate. Um, right. you know, people see his name on the ballot just immediately, you know, jump on it. What I think is even worse though, is the fact that MLB's marketing campaign, uh, with all the signs up and around Cleveland right now, who's the face oh of the All-Star game but Bryce Dude. Harper, who isn't even there. Uh, pretty incredible uh, of a gaffe for them. I can't believe they allowed that stuff to hit the streets, but yet here we are, and Bryce Harper is plastered all over the place but nowhere to be found. I, I kind of love it, but also kind of hate it. Yeah, how do you let that happen? Like, what? Who who doesn't notice along the way? I mean, I get that maybe they thought you know you would assume a name like Bryce Harper would have been there, but it's not like they weren't keeping track of how he was going in in the polls and stuff. And I don't know, it, it was just weird because one of my friends sent me that this morning, and I couldn't believe it when he showed me. I was like, uh, you know, I feel like a, a league, you know, as big and profound as much money that there is in Major League Baseball. I feel like that would have been something that probably could have caught on to. Seriously, man, I, I don't get it at all, but here we are, uh, yeah. and I mean, I guess, you know, the casual fan who doesn't watch baseball sees that Bryce Harper's up there, thinks, <clears throat> oh, I know who that is, and might tune right. in, even if Harper's not there, but that's still even a bad look. I, I, I don't know. They they must have just, you know, made these a lot earlier and figured he'd be there. Maybe they've been up a while. I, I really don't know the whole backstory to it, but mm-hmm. um, but the Nats Twitter people are eating that up right now, and it's kind yeah. of fucking hilarious. Right, of course. Well, you know, as much as it is MLB All-Star Weekend, this also, you know, the, the week off of baseball, I guess the, the couple days off, I know there's one game that picks up Thursday, uh, battle in Texas between the Rangers and Astros, this is also a perfect time to start talking about the trade deadline, because we are in July, and b- correct me if I'm wrong, is it 4 p.m. Eastern Time on July 31st, or did they move it to August 1st? It is July 31st. Is. Uh, I'm not sure about the time. If, if you've gotcha. got 4 o'clock down, I'll take your word yeah, for got, it. I know I've it is in the middle of the day. 4 o'clock here. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, around that time, you know, look, we looked at some of the big deals that happened last year. Uh, the Pirates traded for Chris Archer and sent back to the Rays uh, Tyler uh, Glasnow, who had an amazing season uh, before hitting the IL. I, that's a big guy for me. He was on my, he's on my uh, dynasty league right now that me and Matt are in with our league. <laughs> Uh, and don't Jonathan forget Scope. Austin Meadows. Austin oh, yeah, Meadows Austin Meadows is on my team too. as well. Right, can't forget him. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the Brewers uh, traded for Jonathan Scope from the Orioles. A couple other deals that happened in that day. But So what we're going to do is we're sitting here July 8th. You guys are hearing this July 9th. We're going to do one of our famous draft-offs that we've done with a couple of our <laughs> football segments before where we're going to just pick players and discuss guys that we think are most likely going to be on the move uh, before the trade deadline. So, Matt... I don't have a coin on me, so I'm totally fine with you getting the start if you would like to, if uh, you'd like to start things off. You know what? Why don't we just start switching off? So from here on, I'll go first Fair. this time, and then next time you'll go, and we'll just we'll just go back and forth like that. Um, so, so to kick, kick things off, uh, I think I'm, I'm going to go with a reliever. I think right now we're, we're in a seller's market. There aren't a whole lot of teams that look like they're going to be sellers this year. We've actually we've seen 
buyers markets the past couple of years where we haven't seen you know a whole lot of big name prospects go i mean ever since glaber torres was traded uh to the yankees for aroldis chapman uh ever since that year you know that was an insane for a rental uh, for a player of that of that stature to go, you know, he was still a prospect at the time, but obviously we see now what kind of player Glaber Torres is. You know, for him to go to a team for a rental was pretty crazy, uh, and we I think we saw some teams look at that and be like, all right, you know, we're gonna we're gonna stay away from that because we don't want to get trapped into that kind of uh, mistake. Um, so now uh, we've seen some some seller some buyers markets uh, where J D Martinez was traded mid season for uh, a bag of change. I mean, Manny Machado barely went for anything, uh, you know, aside from Eusenio Diaz um, to the Orioles last year. I mean, you know, there really weren't a whole lot of big trades, but I think this this uh, this uh, trade deadline here, we have a very few teams that are tanking or at the very least going to be sellers uh, because mm-hmm. so many teams are within range of a wild card spot right now. I think a lot of teams are just going to stand pat at the deadline and just kind of right. see where their roster takes them, not try to go all in, but also, you know, not try to... Um, you know, sell their parts or anything like that. So what that does is it's going to, you know, create fewer buyers, but also way fewer sellers. Um, And I think the player to start off is Will Smith, the closer of the Giants. Uh, Not exactly the the player that would come to mind when you're talking about the Giants and who's being traded. Um, I have a feeling that other player might get taken by you at some point in this draft. Um, But Will Smith has been one of the best closers in the National League in all of baseball this year. He's got 22 saves, uh, ERA right around two, has been absolutely incredible for them, really having a breakout season. And honestly, I think right now, if you're looking at the market, there are definitely a lot of relievers, but I really think uh, that Will Smith is the biggest slam dunk reliever. He's got closing experience. He's having a very strong year right now, signed to a cheap deal, everything you could want uh, if you're a team buying a closer. I think he's going to be one of the hottest commodities on the trade market this year, uh, and whatever team does get him is going to be getting a very, very solid back-end reliever. Well, you know, that's so interesting because Will Smith, I, I hate to keep bringing up this league that we're in, but he is also uh, one of my relievers, and he's had such a strong <laughs> season. Just You know, I, that's what I love about baseball. I'm not going to pretend like I know everything about the sport, but being in a league like that, you know, just teaches you about some certain players and stuff. Oh, absolutely. But, but, you know, the fact that, you know, he is one of those guys that, you know, is on a team that isn't too competitive uh, with the Giants. And if, you know, given the right opportunity, maybe he'll be able to extend someone else's bullpen come come the postseason. You know, everyone likes to talk about, uh, you know, Madison Bumgarner, of course, is, you know, who Matt was alluding to earlier. And, of course, uh, you know, the, the hefty price that might be coming uh, in terms of trading for him around the deadline but, yeah, Will Smith is one of those guys. If the Giants feel comfortable, you know, he is, you know, 29 right now. And, actually, he's turning uh, 30 in just two days. So, happy early birthday to Will Smith. But then you look at the point where he's on the side of age 30. If the Giants are continuing to want, maybe want to take things slow and rebuild, uh, maybe they could find themselves some, some pretty nice prospects in return for Will Smith. So, I like that pick. I'm a, I'm and, a big fan. Before before we move on from him, one other thing that I think also makes him more attractive is that bullpen in in San Francisco is actually very good, uh, and they actually have two other setup guys, Tony Watson and Sam Dyson, who could be packaged in a deal kind of like how Sean Doolittle uh, was packaged to the Nats. Um, man, in uh, what was his name? 
Oh, wow. I can't remember. Uh, Ryan Madsen. Ryan Madsen was packaged mm-hmm. to the Nats two years ago along with Doolittle from the A's uh, in a deal that really strengthened the back end of the Nats bullpen. They were able to get two uh, quality relievers. I think that's something that we could see from the Giants here, too. And who did the A's get from that trade was Blake Trinan, who's been uh, an outstanding closer for them. Not having a great year this year, but was an all-star last year uh, and has been always showed the potential but just really didn't get a put it all together until he got to Oakland. So uh, I think that's something that they could explore as well. Right, yeah. So he could certainly be on the move. The guy that I'm going with is also on the mound. He does play for an AL, AL East team, and he might end up playing for another one in a couple weeks. Uh, the guy that I'm looking at is Marcus Stroman of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, for Stroman, I mean, I think the big thing with him is that you've got him through, uh, I guess he'd become a free agent in the 2021 season because he's arbitration eligible in 2020. So the idea is that you can keep him a little bit longer on your team. Uh, he is still, as of now, just 28 years old, just turned 28 a couple months ago. Um, you know, I think the big thing with Stroman is he's not going to join your team if you're right, making a playoff push and be your one or two, you know, your game one or two game, or wow, that was a, I think I just had a stroke, uh, Matt. He's not going to be your <laughs> game one or game two starter, but he could be that middle, maybe game three in a postseason series. You know, he's not going to dazzy, but he does have a th- his ERA is down to 3.18, which is much better than last year's uh, 5.54 ERA, and actually is the second best of his season, of his career, if you want to take away the, the four games uh, he appeared in back in 2015. Of course, selected to his first All Star game this season. I think that's a guy that if you look at Toronto and you could collect some assets from one of your division rivals. You could take away some of their younger talents. I know both of the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox have been interested in pitchers as of recent. Uh, so if, if New York or you know Boston wants to, to reload up and maybe doesn't want to go for a guy that would be their one or two and you could put him back in that 3-4 range, I think Stroman would be a pretty good option, especially given the fact that you could hold on to him for more than just one season. You could possibly get him until uh, the end of the 2020 season. Yeah, no, I, I love Stroman. He's a guy that I actually picked to win the Cy Young Award a couple of years ago, but has never really been able to put it all together. Not necessarily a high strikeout guy, but really good at limiting the long ball. Um, really just struggled, honestly, with the walks last year. That was his big thing, a 3.2 walks per nine. Um, and, you know, obviously that five five four ERA wasn't something to write home about but I you know he's always been somebody with that potential uh injuries have kind of derailed him and he hasn't been able to put it all together but this season he's really been fantastic you know a pretty low whip considering his career a little little bit below his career average the FIP is a little up there at 381 but you know if I'm a team that's acquiring him I'm certainly expecting him to be a number two number three uh pitcher I wouldn't be you know acquiring him to be my ace or anything like mm-hmm. that but I think I think Strowman's would be it would be a good consolation prize for these teams that are chasing after Bumgarner, which honestly Bumgarner's numbers aren't even really all that better, if not even a little worse uh, than Stroman this year. So, you know, to put him at the top of your list, I don't blame you at all. Uh, I think any team would be lucky to have him. He, uh, this is really going to expose me here, but my my first Mm -hmm. concert I ever went to uh, was a a rapper named Mike Studd. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Yep, I've heard of of Mike Studd. Yes, (laughs) that that was my first concert, uh, and I actually, I waited around 
uh, afterward to go up and talk to him. Uh, and he's a baseball junkie. He was actually a closer at Duke. Uh, played oh, wow. baseball there. Yeah, he he was really into it, but had a bunch of surgeries and wasn't able to to go you know any farther. But was pretty good at the time. Uh, and he actually one of his music videos, Marcus Stroman uh, makes an appearance, and the two of them do it together. And that music video was one of my favorites uh, back in high school. I watched that music video probably so many times. It's not even funny, That's um, awesome. but. Uh, you know, I, I just love Strowman. I, I think he's a great character guy. Uh, would be a, a great addition to any uh, ball club, and you know, I'd, I'd be interested to see where he goes. Uh, you know, right. there's a lot of teams uh, that could be interested. Also, I, I didn't make a pick. I realized for Will Smith, I'm saying the Nats because they need a bullpen help more oh, than anybody. Um, but I could also see the Braves going after him. They need a closer as well. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to steal your thunder, but just realized I forgot to to add a yeah. team in there somewhere somewhere in the NL East because they need bullpen help. Right, and I, you know, it's funny because I'm going to keep Stroman in the AL East, and I'm. I don't think New York is going to be willing to give up a guy. Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to go with the Boston Red Sox. Ended up getting Stroman. I feel like right now they're. I guess they're maybe more in a desperation state of mind than the Yankees are, just given their place in the standings and the fact that they need to jump the Rays and the Yankees if they want to win that division. So they've got a, a pretty big gap to make up for. So I think that desperation factor. Uh, Stroman, or maybe another guy that I might mention later on in this list, um, might be a guy that I see heading to Boston. But I, to me, the starting pitchers in the AL East right now, uh, I think, are a pretty big need for you know. You look at you know the Yankees or the Red Sox. Absolutely. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears a little bit and move over to the offensive side. I feel like we've been, been talking about some pitchers here, uh, mm-hmm. and a guy that that. Really stands out to me uh, as a lot of fun to watch, um, and a, a player that I thought this team would build around, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be happening. Uh, Whit Merrifield uh, of Ooh. the Kansas City Royals, one of my uh, favorite players because of his speed, uh, because of his versatility. He can play second base. He can play all over the outfield. Uh, has been uh, a Swiss Army knife of sorts, and is having a career best season this year. Right now, hitting three oh six with three fifty five on base. Uh, 850 OPS, which is his highest of his career. He leads the entire majors in hits this season, 13 stolen bases on the year. He led the league last year with 45, uh, has been able to stay healthy, demonstrated that each of the past two seasons. Uh, really, you know, he's only he's 30 years old, so only been in the league four years, kind of came up late, um, late bloomer uh, type. Uh, but he's been a lot of fun to watch, and, you know, I think he could fit a, a lot of teams um, that that, you know, really could use him over the diamond. And one of those that stands out to me, also in the NL East, is the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. they've had uh, Odubel Herrera suspended for the rest of the season. Uh, Andrew right. McCutcheon is out for the year with an injury. They're really down to Bryce Harper and a bunch of spare parts in that outfield. Uh, and I think put, putting Whit Merrifield out there, somebody who, you know, McCutcheon was their leadoff guy that can throw Merrifield up at that top of the order, someone who you know can lead off for them, set the table, because that offense has really struggled at times, been really up and down uh, this season, sometimes exploding for 15 runs in a game, other times getting shut out. Uh, so I think Whitmerfield would be a great fit for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense if you're Kansas City looking at where you are in this situation and you are one of those teams that does decide to sell. Uh, he's a guy that definitely would be a significant boost given the fact that he is in a career year. Uh, unlike you switching to a to a field position, I'm staying on the mound and I'm going to the New York Mets. And to me, one of the more, in my eyes, just clear trade candidates that I probably would like to bet 
a decent amount of my money on being gone is Zach Wheeler. Uh, just taking a look at the Mets, and you know, I feel like, I you know, being a a, a Knicks fan, and I'm I'm sorry to get in this, it's so dysfunctional at times. <laughs> But I'm just happy yeah. that, like, I'm happy that I have, like, the Yankees to, like, kind of hold me back. Like, if I was – could you imagine being, like, a Knicks, a Mets, and then, I don't a know, Jets pick fan. your choice. You could be Jets or Giants, Jets. honestly, at this oh. point. I, yeah, really. I mean, at least the Giants have a couple Super Bowls in the past, you know, 10, 15 years. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's the Jets a good have, point. The Jets drafted Christian Hackenberg. I mean – Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I hate uh I hate Christian Hackinson. I feel like I feel like he's the person that I've probably crapped on the most in my entire just like talking sports. Uh but yeah, so I can't imagine being a Mets fan right now and if I'm looking any sign of a guy that I think would be gone, I feel like they would still hold on to their big guys in their guard, DeGrom. And so I feel like Zach Wheeler is kind of in that same position that I think you could also find a guy like uh like Stroman and probably not as enticing. Because um, you talk about a guy who would be a free agent a year earlier, um, he is right around the same uh, same age, or I guess he's a, a year older at this point. But uh, yeah, you know Zach Wheeler on the Mets, uh, 500 record this year, 4.69 ERA. Both of those numbers are a little bit higher than Stroman. I think he's just one of those guys that if maybe maybe you're a team that feels very comfortable with their starting pitching depth, and you just want another guy there in case you get an unfortunate injury later in the season. He's someone that I think you can hold in there as your as your four or five, potentially, and then maybe if if you need him to play in more critical situations, I think you could kind of get him comfortable with the with the new uh, situation that he's in, and then bump him up. But I think that's a guy that you know if if I'm the Mets and I'm looking at that, uh, probably would be the number one trade candidate uh, from the Mets organization. You know, I, I totally agree with you that he is the best asset that New York could give up. He's he's the least pricey, uh, has the least baggage attached, uh, and has been performing pretty well this season. I mean, his ERA is a little bit high, but overall, he's been very solid. Uh, would love to have him in the middle of the rotation. I just don't know if the Mets are going to be willing to pull the trigger. They've mm-hmm. had, honestly, the past two years, the opportunity to trade Syndergaard, to trade DeGrom, to trade you know Wheeler, whoever it is at the deadline every year because the team's always out of it. They've never been able to do it. And slowly but surely, those players are losing value in terms of trades. Uh, and, you know, I, I just don't know if, if, you know, obviously he's a free agent at the end of the year, but can the Mets come to grips with themselves and right. say, okay, this isn't our year? I don't, I, honestly, it's it's a no-brainer to me, but I don't know if the Mets see that. Uh, the Wilpons are, are one of the worst ownership groups in sports, um, yeah. and it, it's... Van Wagenen obviously came into this year saying, I can make us contend, I can make us compete, this this will be our year, and that hasn't happened. Can Van Wagenen own up to the fact that it's kind of his fault because he was terrible at putting together a bullpen, he traded for an aging Robbie Cano, um, you know, like, a lot of the good players that are performing this year are players he inherited, uh, you know, players he didn't even acquire, and he, he gave up a lot of good prospects, so... Overall, I'm I'm really you know I'm not sold on the Mets' sense of direction. Mm-hmm. Um, just everything that's happened with them this season, they're a complete dumpster fire, like you said. So I agree with you that Wheeler is a great asset. I just don't know if the Mets would be willing to pull the trigger. Yeah, well, yeah, that's it's funny that you say that because the Mets. I remember uh, I was watching the first game of the Subway Series between the Mets and the Yankees, and the uh, the Mets ended up pulling out the win. And I remember seeing a tweet later that night on social media was like this win was so big for the ownership group that they're fully committed to uh, 
to, to pursuing now that they beat one game against the New York Yankees and they're three and seven in their last 10, 13 and a half games out of the division. So yeah, I guess it does come down to them finally willing to accept, but you're right. After the big off season they had with all the trades that they tried to pull and all the guys that they brought in, I guess that would be tough to give up, but God, I, you know, you would hope at a certain point they decide to hit the reset button because they're going to keep ending up in this situation where they're paying a lot of guys a lot of money to do a job that is very, uh, very subpar. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to complain as long as they're still in the Nats division. So, you know, keep on running them into the ground, Will Ponds. You're doing great. <laughs> All right, so wrap things up uh, with my picks. He's still on the board, so I'm just going to pull the trigger. Two giants on my list here, Madison Bumgarner, yeah. uh, the ace, the perennial ace uh, of the Giants. He's been subpar this year. I wouldn't say it's been his best season. Uh, 403 ERA and 111 innings this year. Uh, took a liner off his elbow uh, in his last start. Only pitched two innings, but appears he'll be healthy. Uh, project gets the all-star break, which is going to allow him to uh, not have to go on the IL. Um, so he'll be ready. The whip is up a little bit. The strikeouts are actually career high. Or sorry, no, he had a career high in 2016 at 10.0 strikeouts per nine. But he's at 9.3, which would be the second best, third best mark of his career. I can't read numbers today. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think looking around the league, Ken Rosenthal uh, said earlier today in his latest notes column uh, that the Astros, Twins, Braves, and Brewers are among the clubs interested in Bumgarner, according to sources. Uh, and I think right now that the team that stands out to me uh, that seems in the best position to acquire him is the Twins. Uh, the Twins were very much in on Dallas Keuchel mm. before he signed with the Braves. Uh, appeared they didn't want to give him as much money, uh, which knowing the Twins' ownership group, that's not too surprising. Um, Bumgarner signed to a relatively team-friendly deal, um, so that makes him a little bit more feasible for them. But I think the other thing here, aside from the, the, the Twins' obvious need for starting pitching, the Astro Braves and Brewers are on Madison Bumgarner's no-trade list. Now, we talked about this earlier right. in the season. He did it strategically, where he listed out teams at the start of the year that he thought would be in contention so that he would have leverage in trade talks, uh, possibly getting a trade kicker uh, or some kind of thing like that. Uh, in a deal where he would get more money or something along those lines, maybe more incentives uh, after being traded. Uh, that would make him part of the process. It would allow him to try and pick the team that he's traded to. Uh, I believe it's eight teams on that list. The Twins are not one of them. Uh, hmm. So if the Twins were to get in on that, they could potentially uh, offer a, a little bit more than those other teams because those other teams maybe wouldn't want to be willing uh, to give up as much uh, to get Bumgarner, you know, maybe they don't want to have to pay the extra, say, $2 million trade kicker if that is what he's asking for or something like that. Um, the Twins wouldn't have to worry about that. They could uh, make a big offer and the, the Giants could say, yeah, let's do it. And Bumgarner wouldn't have anything to say about it. So I think uh, Bumgarner would be a huge fit for them. I think they really do need a starting pitcher, at least one, uh, for that postseason rotation. Obviously, the offense has been absolutely incredible this year with the home runs that it's been hitting, but it's going to need somebody to take the ball in those big games. And Bumgarner, you know, there's nobody better uh, in this generation of pitchers. Right. And, and that's, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you is why. Uh, you know, Bum, what Bumgarner brings that these others don't. Of course, we talk about the experience. Uh, of course, you know, that the fact that he, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you know, three World Series championships, a World Series MVP. Uh, one of the things that I didn't realize about Bumgarner is he is still just 29. I mean, he turns 30 within the next 25 days. 
But the fact that he, you know, I, I just remember hearing his name for so long in my life, and I didn't realize, you know, his big first, I guess, season was at the age of 20. So he's not even, you know, an old guy. And I guess that's just me for, you know, dis discrediting how long I had seen him. But I guess the, the big thing is that experience, right? When we talk about comparing him into a guy like Wheeler or Stroman, it, it, it turns into an experience thing, right? Oh, absolutely. And that if anybody has experience, it's Bumgardner in, right. let's see, what's 8 plus 7 is 15, 15 plus 21 is 34 innings. No, sorry. 36 innings. In 36 <laughs> World Series innings in his career, wow. Madison Bumgardner has allowed one earned run. One Jesus. earned run in 36 World Series innings. I mean, that's absolutely insane. His career postseason ERA is a 2.11. Uh, he, you know, he's just he's outstanding. And yes, he hasn't been the yeah. postseason since 2016, uh, and he's gotten a little older. Had some injuries. I mean, one of them was that dirt bike accident or ATV or whatever it was, oh, yeah. off-roading type vehicle accident that that kind of de derailed him, and that's kind of led him down this path of injury-prone uh, years, back-to-back -back years. Uh, where he he didn't reach the 200 inning threshold, but before that he hadn't reached that since his rookie season, or had reached that every year since his rookie season. So uh, he has been proven to be durable. I don't think you have to be worried about him getting injured. Obviously, the numbers aren't necessarily there, but he's he's shown him some improvements in the past few starts um, mm -hmm. that uh, you know look made, made him look a lot better. He's on my fantasy team personally, so I've been yeah. watching him pretty closely, um, and you know I've, I've been happy with his performance this year. And I think whatever team gets him, if that's the Twins especially. Uh, they would be too. Mm -hmm. All righty, so I'm going to give you my last pick, and this one I, I'm going off-road a little bit, and I'm not picking someone who is currently in the majors, but there's a prospect that I just, from being such a close uh, Yankees supporter or someone who has watched so much Yankees baseball throughout my life, and especially this season, God, I feel like I've missed maybe only a handful of games this year. Uh, there was one guy that, you know, was doing very well in their majors, uh, up up in majors this year, and then unfortunately there are just so many good players at his position that he had to get sent down, uh, that I think given his frustration, given the fact that there's no room for him in the lineup, I think that if the Yankees want to swing big and try and get one of these big pitchers, they're going to have to give up a guy like Clint Frazier. A 24-year-old mm. who I guess is a free would become a free agent in 2024. This is a guy that I think, you know, to me, you look at this season. He in 209 plate appearances, he's hitting 283, 11 home runs, 34 RBIs. The big thing, the big knock on him is his fielding, which definitely, you know, was not great in his stint uh, playing in the outfield when the Yankees were dealing all, with all their injuries. I don't think it was as bad as everyone made it out to be. Of course, there were certain plays here and there that were just, you know, pretty, that looked pretty bad. But I think for the most part, it wasn't as bad as everyone was making it out to be. And the more, the reason that I say that I think he's very likely to be traded is just simply the fact that for the Yankees to be able to get, I, I don't think another team should back down from saying we want Clint Frazier in a package because Clint, once he got sent down, uh, he deleted all of the posts that had to do with the Yankees on his Instagram, clearly frustrated with the fact that he didn't remain on the active roster when Stanton and Judge came back. And then the fact that Stanton got hurt again and they promoted Mike Talkman instead of Frazier, I think is just further stirring the pot that there's there's just not a great connection between Frazier and, and this, the management staff with the New York Yankees that I think 
other teams would have to clearly notice this at a point. And if you're a guy, if you're a team that's out there and you have a valuable asset that the Yankees are trying to get, I wouldn't back down without from saying I don't want Clint Frazier as part of that package. And so I feel like he's a guy that if the Yankees are serious about making a move uh, for their pitching staff, and you know maybe it's another arm in the bullpen, I I doubt it. Their bullpen has been extremely well, but probably you know another starting pitcher. If I'm another team that has that. Uh, I wouldn't back down from trying to get Frazier uh, in that package. No, you're you're absolutely right. And honestly, I mean, if you look at the Yankees roster in general, I mean, he's just expendable at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, he was an up-and-coming prospect, somebody who's only 24 years old, you know, certainly still has that potential uh, that you look for in a young player. But at the same time, if you're the Yankees, you've got to be realistic. You're only going to be able to extend so many of these guys to, to larger deals. And if you really right. are going to create opportunity for Clint Frazier to play every day and succeed in the future, uh, then you're going to have to make some tough choices. And honestly, I, I think the more sure bets are the guys that have already been out there uh, mm-hmm. and on the roster right now. So I absolutely agree with you. Frazier uh, is a great trade chip for him. I mean, something that a lot of teams can't offer is a, an MLB-ready talent, ready to just slide right into your roster, uh, however. However, it is if you're a rebuilding team or a team maybe that's a little bit closer, uh, trying to retool, you know, someone like that where they're, they're they think they're maybe only a year or two away from competing. Clint Frazier is the perfect fit for that, um, and why I think a, a team like the Angels uh, would might be interested. Now they don't really have. Hmm. Um, a starting pitcher, so they don't really have anybody to offer. Um, but if they, you know, I think he's a team that could, or he's a player that would fit uh, with what they were trying to do. So maybe uh, if the Reds decide to pull back, um, mm-hmm. you know, they they might be interested. Um, you know, like, even though they're close to uh, post the, the postseason themselves, with that NL Central right. being so tight, um, you know, a, a team like that where you know you feel like you're right on the cusp, just not there yet. Yeah, and you know, it, it, like you were saying. The idea, the perfect world scenario is that with a fully healthy Yankees team, you could potentially have Giancarlo Stanton consistently uh, DH, and then you would have Frazier in the left field, but then his fielding became such an issue, or I guess a glaring issue this season, that it came to the point where it was Stanton probably needs to be in the outfield realistically because um, I guess Talkman's bat might not provide enough to keep him on the field while his fielding might be well. And then, of course, they go and trade for a guy like Edwin Encarnacion. Of course, earlier in the season, they traded for Kendris Morales. So it just came, it became pretty clear in the Yankees' eyes in their front office that they aren't interested in a situation where Stanton is DHing and Frazier is in the outfield. That was the only possible scenario to get Frazier consistent playing time. So with that out the window, I think, you know, I think he's got a pretty good opportunity to be a pretty nice uh, deal for a bigger picture uh, or a bigger pitcher for the New York Yankees. Yeah, and I mean, that defense <laughs> is pretty atrocious. Uh, yeah. It's, 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 it's hard to watch, uh, and you know, it makes you think, does he really belong out there? Is his future at first base? Um, yeah. And with the way that the Yankees' first base situation is, is working out right now, there's no way that he's sliding over there anytime soon. So there really mm-hmm. just aren't a whole lot of options for Frazier on the roster right now. And I think the, the best move is to, to trade him. Yeah. So I, I like these draft segments. I, I think they're pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy this, so we definitely got to make this consistent staple. But we're going to switch over to the NBA, and man, what a wild two weeks for us to miss uh, podcast. I know, because, I know. <laughs> because there, there have been so much. I feel like we could have had at least five episodes strictly about basketball talk. Uh, but since we're here on July 8th, and we all already have probably listened to hours on hours of podcasts, 
AD and LeBron, Kawhi and Paul George. We're going to go with something that's uh, come out more recently in the headlines, and that evolves around Oklahoma City guard, MVP guard, Russell Westbrook, who reportedly is interested in the idea of possibly moving on from the Thunder, and management has expressed their willingness to let Russell uh you know, explain his interest and then possibly look in trades, especially after they give up Paul George for a record-breaking five first-round picks. They acquired a sixth future first-round pick today, trading uh, Jeremy Grant to the Denver Nuggets. Uh, So the Rockets, I mean, sorry, excuse me, the Thunder are looking like they might be ready to reboot, let the West kind of could battle it out for the next few years and maybe try and build up. And, you know, for Sam Presti, real quick, just, you know, this is a little off-topic, but he is one of, in my eyes, one of the best drafting GMs in basketball. I think he's done, yeah, I mean, you talk about the guys that he's drafted, like Russ, Serge, Kevin Durant. Uh, who else has he drafted? He's drafted guys like, oh, God, uh, James Harden. Uh, he drafted, <coughs> did he draft Eric Bledsoe? I believe he drafted Eric Bledsoe. There's a ton of guys. So, you know, for all the future first-round picks, uh, this might be the time to reboot for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and it seems like Russell Westbrook might be okay with moving on. Uh, Matt, what do you think the approach should be if you're Russell Westbrook or if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder? Well, uh, I think you have to trade him. I mean, right now, it's almost a disservice to Westbrook. I mean, at this point in his career, he's not the same guy. And I think, I don't think anybody thinks, aside, you know, outside of maybe him uh, and his inner circle, that he can be the main guy on a championship team. You know, if, if I don't think he's necessarily the player that you want to build around, given his skill set, given that he's on the wrong side of 30 now. Um, you know, it doesn't bode well, uh, especially his contract with how, how expensive it is to build around him and try to compete for a title, given how many stars are in the West right now, how stacked all of these teams are. I don't see the Thunder competing uh, with Russell, Russell Westbrook as the main star on that team. So you got to trade him. But the problem is, is you know, with how late in free agency we're at right now, there just aren't a whole lot of teams with the cap space that are able to take him on. Uh, you know, if this had been a conversation at the start of free agency, literally a week ago, two weeks ago, you know, around that time. Um, you know, we're having a different conversation. There's plenty of teams that be able to fit him in, but now everybody's landed their stars. They pretty much have their direction. You know, the, the guys that are still left are guys like Sam Decker, uh, and Avery Bradley, hmm. uh, Bradley, who just got picked up today by the Lakers. Yeah. Um, you know, that's we're we're kind of reaching the end here. Uh, Jabari Parker, you know, those kind of guys just got signed, um, we're not seeing any more stars. I mean, Kawhi was the lone holdout of even like the top 10, top 15 stars that were available in general anyway. I think the second best player uh, who was available at that point was Danny Green. Uh, and Green, you know, signed immediately afterward with the Lakers as almost a consolation prize. Seemed like he was definitely holding out for the team that didn't get Kawhi um, as, as somebody who could be a complimentary piece. Now, as for teams that I think would make room to swing it. I think the team that jumps off the page to me is the Miami Heat. Uh, The Heat obviously just got Jimmy Butler, uh, but they're a team that have been actively trying to shop uh, Goran Dragic all season. That'll create a hole at point guard. Uh, They already offloaded Hassan Whiteside's expensive contract. I think I'm not sure exactly where they stand against the cap, but I'm certain that, you know, this is an organization that's always, you know, wanted to bring in stars. That's how they sell their tickets. Uh, And even if they're not going to, you know, be at the top of the East, the East is weaker. They could sneak into a playoff spot uh, with Jimmy Butler and Russell Westbrook. Now, how the two of them gel together is beyond me. 
Um, but that doesn't seem like it's ever held the heat back from making a personnel decision before. Uh, so that's the team that stands out the most to me. Yeah, you know, I'm going to pull this up just so I, I have it right here. At 2.26 p.m., uh, Woj put out that Russell Westbrook and his agent have engaged Sam Presti in the next steps for possibility of a trade. And then literally five minutes after, I, I put out there that there's no nothing more I would want to see than him join Jimmy Butler with the Miami Heat. I think <laughs> I think what just makes sense if first of all I think the entire West is clogged up. I think that they have had enough deals and transactions this offseason. I don't think there is another team in the Western Conference that makes any bit of sense if you're going to try and trade for a guy like uh, Russell Westbrook. Um, even if you're an up and coming team like the Denver Nuggets who uh, Oklahoma City just had a trade with earlier today. You have Jamal Murray as a guard. Don't want to take away touches from him. You don't want to take touches away from the ball-handling center that uh, Jokic is. So Denver doesn't make sense to me. The, the team that, for some reason, they just like to put out that they're interested in every superstar ever. Go back to, like, 2010 when the Heat first joined their big three. Every superstar that's <laughs> yeah. been available, the Rockets have expressed their interest. And I think that's just... I don't know if it's just trying to show their fan base that they're interested in always getting more people. I've never understood that approach, but it has been their approach. And they came out and said that they're interested in Russell Westbrook. I mean, if, if you're the Rockets, do you, I mean, if you're the Thunder, are you really interested in getting Chris Paul back with his massive contract and then maybe future assets? Maybe you'd get a guy like Clint Capella, but you have Steven Adams already. So the, the Rockets don't really make any sense to me, even given the fact that they have reported interest. So to me, the team that makes sense is the Miami Heat. And, you know, I, I think personally, the two most competitive players in the league are Russell Westbrook and Jimmy Butler. To me, they are the biggest tryhards, I guess. And I mean that in a good way when I say it. I don't mean to call them out and say that they're tryhards, but they really are. They're the most aggressive basketball players. And I feel like, at least for a little they could probably make things work together. Now, of course, if things started to go bad, how does that play out for them? You know, how do they deal with managing each other's emotions? Because they're both very emotional players to work around. But if you looked at them, you got if you were able to get Jimmy Butler, Russell Westbrook, you got contributions from Bam Adebayo, uh, Tyler Hero, who's come alive in the summer league, a, a sharpshooter guy, and you work around that, Deion Waiters coming back, and maybe you're able to get a, a, a trade. And this is something I'm taking from Bill Simmons that he just put out there. Uh, he put out earlier today a three-team trade that would send Russell Westbrook and Steven Adams to the Miami Heat. The Dallas Mavericks would be involved in this trade, and they would get Drogic from the Mavericks and a uh, Abdel Nader uh, from the from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Not a real big name. And then the Thunder would get a collection of Justice Winslow, Courtney Lee, Myers Leonard, and Kelly Olynyk. So some young guys on relatively cheap deals, expiring deals, that would give them the chance to rebuild around some of their younger stars. I mean, to me, everything that you said makes sense. The Miami Heat are interested in in getting franchise players to change, you know, I guess the idea around their franchise, and they really haven't had that. I mean, yes, they got Jimmy Butler, but that's the first real star. I mean, when Dwayne Wade come back, came back last year, no one was like, oh, they're going to be pushing for playoff contention. No. You know, when they signed Deion Waiters to a big contract, it wasn't, oh, they're going to push for the playoffs now. I mean, they've been okay, and Eric Spolstra is a good coach, but Pat Riley has always been one of those really aggressive, uh, you know, managers or I guess GM president of basketball operations kind of guys. So to me, 
it just it makes sense. And if you're in the Western Conference, I don't know what other teams you could send Russell Westbrook to that he would be okay with. I don't think he would want to go to the New York Knicks. And let me put out there, I don't want to see him on the New York Knicks. I would get so mad if Russell Westbrook <laughs> got traded to the New York Knicks. I'd hate it. But I would say that would be uh, the ultimate Nick move. Nick dude, move, I mean, <laughs> don't get me started. As soon as I heard the idea of the Knicks making, someone said the Knicks made sense, and, and like I. It does make sense if you look at the recent history. They trade for a guy that is over the age of 30. I guess Russ doesn't have the injury concerns like Mello or Amari Stoudemire had. But it's one of those guys that isn't going to change your team into winners. When in free agency, if you had just offered Kevin Durant the four-year max that he was looking for, he would have taken it. So, you know, there's so many things that, that stay away from New York. But if you're looking at the Eastern Conference, Brooklyn's not an option. Boston's not an option. Indiana doesn't make sense. I wouldn't think he would want to go from Oklahoma City to Indiana. I feel like he would want to go to a major market team. He wouldn't want to go to Toronto. To me, it's Miami Heat or bust. And he's, it's either Miami Heat or he's got to sit through the rest of his contract with the Thunder. Yeah, uh, before I add on to your point, holy shit, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Oh, what do you do? 29, do you, home, 29 home runs in the first round. He just <laughs> destroyed Matt Chapman. No not way. even close. And, dude, they were just effortless. His swing is insane. You're kidding. Holy shit. 29 okay, in the first I, round. 29 in the first round, dude. He's so young, too. It's not Wait, even that's, fair. That's the, the single round record. Is it? I didn't even know. Yeah, I just I, got a notification. It's the it's the it's the uh, it's the number one. It, it's the highest total, and he did that in his first round. That's insane. Jeez. And he was the eight, he's the eight seed that they they seeded him. Eight yeah, in the, in the field. <laughs> uh, so anyway, crazy. so if we're if we're looking outside the heat, though, you know, uh, if we had to talk about other teams that did make sense. I really do think that the Knicks stand out there. Uh, the the the, mag- the magic have been thrown around a little bit, yeah. um, but uh, Bill Bill Simmons made this point on his podcast, and I hate citing other podcasts, but Bill Simmons is is one of the smartest people in He's basketball. NBA Jesus uh, to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he pointed out. You know, the, I don't think the Thunder are going to trade Russ to a place he doesn't want to go, and I can't really yeah. imagine that Russell Westbrook wants to go and play for the Orlando Magic, where he'd be immediately irrelevant. Uh, you know, it's in Florida, sure, but, you know, there's no spotlight. It's not a huge city. Uh, it's not like Miami. Um, you know, even though Miami was, you know, around where Orlando is in the standings, um, you know, I, I think he has more chance to be a star there. Uh, obviously gets a chance to get a second star next to him. I mean, who's the player that stands out to you uh, on the Magic? Is it Aaron Gordon? You know, Vucevic. I mean... Uh, Jonathan Isaac, nobody really stands out to me. I mean, Michael Carter-Williams was supposed to be the next big thing Mo for a while. Bamba. Oh, Markel Fultz is on the team. There we go. <laughs> Timothy Mozgov, dude, they've got some castaways. Holy shit. Jesus. Uh, Terrence Ross, they, this really is a collection of, of misfit toys. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I would say, honestly, that the Knicks make sense. They've oh. got the star power, you know, I, 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 the star, I guess, uh, market. They don't have necessarily a second star, but maybe you consider R.J. Barrett to be that guy with him. I mean, that's that's a pretty fun backcourt, not going to lie. Um, yeah. Although we, I wasn't super impressed with what we saw out of R.J. in his first no. game. Uh, but <laughs> in the NBA Rookie League. <laughs> he's going to be a but, bust. R.J. Barrett's going to bust because the world hates me. 
and the world hates the, the world. Knicks fans. The world just hates the Knicks in general. And yeah, hates the Knicks. RJ Barrett's gonna bust. I can already tell. But we gotta, dude. Side note, real quick. There's a new Iggy in the NBA, and he's a second round pick out of Michigan, and he is lighting it up for the Knicks. So just watch out. Iguodala doesn't I heard about him. Anymore. I heard about him. Yeah, <laughs> Ig- Ignis Birdzankis or whatever his name is. Uh, he's he's the new big deal. But yeah. Anyways, I, yeah. I mean, with with the Knicks. To me, I, I hope the league realizes, and like you were saying, you can't win an NBA championship with Russell Westbrook as your number one. You just simply can't. And there's a reason, and I hate to say it because all the players say that it's not true, but look at all the guys that get better when they're away from Russ. Victor Oladipo, Kevin Durant, James Harden, probably Paul George later this year. I wouldn't be surprised if Paul George it has a tremendous year. He finished third in MVP voting this past year. Um, you know, that's it's a just pretty high bar. Things. I know. Yeah, I know. I guess I got to say, Paul George is going to be next year's MVP now. Uh, so but <laughs> you're locked just, in, dude. That, I am locked in. in. Yeah, you got the snippet on here. Well, <laughs> someone will clip this next year when he finishes like 20th yes. and call me out for it. I'm but be uh, so lit. Yeah, and so it's like it's. It, it, I hope New York realizes that, and I hope that they don't pull the trigger. But if I'm in a situation where maybe Pat Riley and Eric Spolster can just talk to Russell Westbrook and help him understand how an NBA team should function. Maybe him, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, these other rotation guys, Dion Waiters, hopefully they can turn something. Because I think even just the talent alone of the two of them makes them in probably that five range of the playoffs if it was to happen. Um, maybe a little lower. Maybe they're in that six seed if another team shoots up. But you have to think Brooklyn's not getting Kevin Durant probably the entire season. So you think that they would be in that four through six range in the Eastern Conference. But I, I also want to ask you this with Russell Westbrook, and this maybe can be the last thing unless you have any other stuff to add. This trade has to be done before the season begins, right? Like you can't go into the season with Russ in Oklahoma City. No, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the cap is, is once right. the season starts. I mean, you know, making those that, those cap changes is going to be so difficult uh, with a guy signed to a max deal like he is. Uh, I think he's got to be traded, uh, you know, for his sake. I mean, that's what he's going to want uh, mm-hmm. is, is to be gone. I mean, and honestly, you know, if you are the Thunder, obviously you're going to try to maximize the return here uh, and get as much as you can for a guy who's just had three straight seasons averaging a triple-double. Um, but, you know, you got so much in that Paul George return that really the pressure isn't on to to have a great deal uh, where you're getting a, a, bu- a yeah. bunch of pitch picks back for Russ. Um, hmm. You know, obviously with the money involved and, and his age, uh, and where, where the way his play has been going, you know, I think his value is certainly a little bit uh, depressed from what it could have been maybe a year or two ago. Um, so, you know, yes, obviously, you know, Presti's a, a fantastic GM, one of the best in the league. I don't absolutely don't doubt uh, his ability to uh, work out a deal that he gets good value for. But even if the value isn't there, I think this deal still gets done for Russ. I think they want right. to do him right. Uh, you know, they have a lot of respect for him in that organization. He's obviously uh, mm-hmm. been a star for them, only played for them his entire career, shown the commitment, shown the ability to recruit other stars to the team. Um, you know, I, I would not be surprised if, if they offloaded him and we were a little bit like, really? That's all they got? Um, but then, you know, at the same time, all of these people right now, all anyone's talking about is Russell, Wolf, Russell Westbrook's cons. 
Uh, and there certainly are a few, but, you know, whatever team does get him, uh, you know, he's going to be going onto that team with a chip on his shoulder, uh, looking to prove himself in a new new team, new market, new, new fan base. Uh, and I'm really excited to see what kind of Russell Westbrook we get. Like you said, he's one of the most competitive guys uh, in the league. And, you know, I think you say that because he just wears it on his face. You know, what, whatever he's feeling, he shows it. Uh, when he's smug, when he's hyped up, you can always tell. And it's so much fun to watch. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I, I would not be surprised if the, the, the return was a little bit underwhelming uh, when he's traded. Yeah, it's a really good point that you make. I never even thought about the fact that they don't need another slam dunk trade because the haul that they yeah, got I mean, the Clippers is the greatest, so amazing. Greatest return of all time. I mean, yeah. really. And we, we were literally just saying that about the Anthony Davis trade, and yet here we are, right. not even you know a month later, uh, and we're saying it once again. Yeah, this just reminds me one more thing. Like, there's a reason Jerry West is the logo. I might have been more comfortable with replacing <laughs> this, but Jerry West has single-handedly just – done so many great things for the league you talk about Kobe and Shaq back when he was the Lakers then he goes to Golden State and aids in the development of drafting Steph and Clay and bringing in Kevin Durant and then he comes to the Clippers and he pulls off this heist where he's got a ton of great players who push Golden State probably harder than any team did until the finals in the playoffs and then they go out and they pull these moves where they yes they gave up a lot of draft picks and it is a huge return but it's essentially five first-round picks for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to play together. So hats off to the logo, Jerry West. I, I had always wondered why Jerry West, a guy that had such a losing record in the finals, was the logo. But, man, the way he's dominated at different levels and the way he's you know, been able to carry on his legacy in the NBA, there's not another guy I'd rather you know sporting that NBA logo. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, he's... Yeah. He's been all over the place. Yeah, you he's know, done everything. It's hard, to, it's hard for a player who was a Hall of Famer in his playing career to turn around and make a, remake a brand new name for himself yeah. uh, as one of the best front office executives uh, around the league. Like, you know well, Phil Jackson tried to do that very same thing yeah. uh, and, and it did not work out Dude. very well. But Jerry West has mastered it, man. Dude, Michael Jordan is paying Terry Rozier $21 million a year, a guy that's never oh, shot above 40% from the field. So we're, we're slandering <laughs> some Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. Sorry, you got, you got slammed Sorry, guys. <laughs> but uh, anything else you want to add into this trade? I know it's only one bit of the NBA free agency topic, but uh, it is the most recent and relevant, I, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've been excited from from the way this has all worked out. Um, it's great. You know, it's been a lot of fun. I, I think the the balance of power, man. Uh, I, you know, everybody has talked about this, and I can't reiterate it enough. I was so, when when Kawhi when it was announced that he was going to the Clippers, I breathed the biggest sigh of relief that mm-hmm. he wasn't going to the Lakers because yeah. for the first time in God knows how long. We really have an NBA that you're going and looking at, and, and you can make you can make an honest case that eight to ten teams could be in the finals next year. Well, you know what, eight to ten teams win it, maybe not. You know, you're probably looking at four to five. Sure, that's that's kind of how the NBA works. I'm fine with that. But you know, you could you know a, a key injury here or there, and you're looking at the Blazers going all the way, or right. you're looking at the 76ers finally making it through. I mean, it's absolutely insane, uh, the number of teams, especially in the West, uh, yeah. that can really you know make some waves this year. And I, I haven't been this excited for an NBA season to start in a long time. I mean, I'm, 
I was 100% admit, I was caught up in the, the hangover of the Warriors and LeBron, where mm-hmm. you always knew who was going to be in the finals, who was going to be winning it. Uh, it just made the season less fun to me. And yes, we still had great storylines. Lots of fun players were winning MVP and having great regular seasons. Uh, and there were still fun playoff rounds. But the inevitability of it all just kind of ruined it for me. Left a sour taste in my mouth every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm not the one to hate on dynasties necessarily. Uh, but I, when, it, when it gets to a point where, you know, it's every year for half a decade, you know, that's mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, you know, let, let's – I really want to see somebody else give it a shot. Right. You know, this is a fun for our, I think for our next draft on draft segment that we do, we should uh, maybe pick teams that we think are most likely to win the NBA Finals, so we can maybe save that and do that. Uh, yes, in, you know, future episodes. But we are going to switch away from the NBA right now. We're going to hit up football because boy, oh boy, we are getting close to training camp time, and we're sitting here before. Let's training go! Camp. It's exciting, man! I'm, so I'm excited. excited. I'm so. It's excited. going to be a fun season. I'm I'm moving to Nashville tomorrow. I'm trying to figure out where the Titans do their camp so I could get a few of those practices in. Maybe maybe uh, you know walk around in my Andrew Luck jersey since the Titans have never won a game against him in his career. <laughs> uh, so, but we're not talking about the Titans or the Colts. We're going to look at the ever so mediocre NFC East. Uh, last year, which was separated first through third place uh, by only three games, you had the Cowboys ten and six, Eagles nine and seven, the Redskins finished seven and nine, and the lonely, the lowly New York Giants finished five and eleven and lost me fifty dollars. Thank you, Tom Robertson. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of offseason shuffle, uh, especially you know you look across the league and you know quarterback changes in Washington. Carson Wentz is expected to be back healthy for the Philadelphia Eagles. There's a new quarterback that might be unseating Eli Manning in New York. Dallas, they're still holding on to Dak Prescott in hopes of extending him long-term. Matt, before training camp starts, who do you think is most likely to come out of this NFC East uh, and and win the division in 2019? I mean, it's got to be the Eagles, right? Uh, This is a team that, you know, obviously won the Super Bowl had a rough start to last season, but was able to to you know claw its way back into the race, make it to the postseason, actually win a playoff game. You know, albeit uh, as a result of a dink and a doink uh, mm-hmm. on the goalpost. Um, but you know, this is a team that you know you, you've got Carson Wentz locked up to the long term deal now. He's he's comfortable. Uh, you bring in a guy like Deshaun Jackson, who, despite his age, has been a very very effective receiver uh, in that team. You know, I think. Golden Tate didn't get a whole lot of love because Amari Cooper uh, was making such a big impact um, with that uh, with the rival club in in, in Dallas, uh, where he was kind of overshadowed and he didn't necessarily put up great numbers, but I think it added another element to that offense uh, that was missing. Uh, and so I really like what Deshaun does. He adds that vertical threat. You, you pair him with Alshon. You've got Nelson Aguilar in the slot. They've got a great offensive line. They draft Andre Dillard in the first round uh, to add some depth there. But really, the, the key for me is the defense, man. They had so many players missing time last year. I mean, just to, to yeah. run through uh, some of the guys. Lodi Nada missed three games. Timmy Jernigan missed 13, Jordan Hicks 4, Derek Barnett four, 10, Ronald Darby 7, Jalen Mills 8, Ronnie McLeod 13, Sidney Jones 7. I mean, you know, that the up and down, almost the entire secondary, everybody but Malcolm Jenkins missed the end of the year. Uh, they were down to like their third string safeties and stuff like that, third string corners. It, it was pretty bad. Um, you know, you got you saw guys like Avante Maddox uh, covering number one receivers. Uh, you know, when you kind of get to that point, it's like, all right, you know, we got a former fourth round pick in there. Maybe we need to reevaluate what we're doing here. Um, but 
you know, they're all back. They're healthy. Uh, they look like the team to beat to me. Uh, I know a lot of people are buying into the Dallas train this offseason. Blake, are you one of them? Oh, man, I want to, but I, I, I can't. I, you know, I've got them kind of lower down, and, you know, I'm looking at the NFC East, and I probably agree with you. I am going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles, should be expected to be the favorite. And I think just how transcendent of a player uh, Zach, or sorry, Zach Ertz, uh, Carson Wentz is, and the impact that he had on that team, I get they still were able to hey, win. Zach Ertz is pretty transcendent, man. Yeah, I know, I know. I, not, to say, <laughs> not to say that Zach Ertz isn't. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you take, like you were saying, their offense – is is deep at just about every position, and they added depth at the positions that it wasn't. You say you get another tackle like Dillard. That's perfect if a guy, you know, I mean, the, the problem is his injuries. It's everything that you were saying with the Eagles is, is spot on. There are injuries across the offensive line. You hope that they stay healthy, but they are getting old, so you might have to try and uh, and build in some more depth and get a guy like Dillard was perfect for them to maybe just make sure that in case an injury happens, uh, you don't have to throw in someone who may not be ready or may not have the talent level of a guy like Dillard. Um, I think the receiving core is nice. The running backs, I feel like, are going to be good enough. Jordan Howard is a guy. I, you know, I like I like the way the Eagles are approaching their running back core. Um, it reminds me of just looking at Indy. You have your one guy that's a power, one guy that's your receiving back, and the one guy that kind of does just about everything. And I think that's a really fundamental way to have your running backs instead of having one guy that carries the ball every single play and is still out there on third down. Keep the legs fresh throughout the season. Have three guys, one that specifies or uh, in a specific area. Um, to me, the biggest concern, I guess, with uh, the Eagles is in their secondary. But like you were saying, they were just about banged up there all last year. It isn't an episode of Reasonably Outrageous where I don't say two-year injury. So I'm going to say it again with Sidney <laughs> Jones. Uh, Sidney Jones was a guy that I thought was going to be great coming out. And then, of course, unfortunately, tore his ACL uh, during training before the draft, missed his entire rookie season, came back and started four games last year. I think he'll be a significant upgrade. They got him in the middle of the second round, given that injury. He, to me, was a top 10, 15 talent in that class. So if he's the missing piece uh, in that secondary and the rest of them are supposed to stay healthy, I'm going to give it to the Eagles. Now, And I hate that I'm about to say this, but if I'm shying away from the Eagles and I just want to pick another team... I'm going to go with the Washington Redskins. And <laughs> the I Dwayne Haskins effect. Dude, I don't like it, but I I like it. I I really like their draft. I thought they got all the positions I need. They're another team that we were kind of just talking with the Eagles that was just hurt all over. Every position had injuries, and I think they've got a really good offensive line. You got Darius Geis coming back. They draft a guy like Bryce Love. Uh, you know, if it's Haskins starting, great. If Colt McCoy is ready, great. Uh, <coughs> even if it's Case Keenum, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I certainly wouldn't want him over, you know, the other two. Maybe you just go and give the keys uh, to the car to Haskins to start off. But I think the receiving core maybe isn't the best. Uh, but I, I think defensively, they're very solid. They've got our boy Jimmy Moreland, who, you know, honest to God... I mean, we've seen all the buzz. I feel like we didn't talk about it, but I mean, I've seen ESPN articles talking about how Jimmy Moreland is the name to watch from, you know, the Redskins OTAs and stuff like that. Like he's the guy that's impressing everybody. So maybe he's a guy that comes out there at the slot corner position and, and steals the show. They've got a deep secondary. Uh, to me, the Redskins, if the Eagles somehow fall, I'm not saying that, I don't want to go and say that the Cowboys 
shouldn't be favored ahead of the Redskins, but I, I was very impressed with the Redskins offseason, and I think that they could be trending upward in the next year, if not the year after that. Yeah, I agree with you that the receiving <laughs> core is a little sus for me. I mean, oh, they have a yeah. third-round pick sl- uh, slated right now to be on their first-team unit. Uh, they right. obviously lose Jamison Crowder out of the slot um, to uh, the Jets over the offseason. But honestly, I mean, I feel like the Redskins' receiving core is just a bunch of slot receivers anyway. Yeah. Um, with just kind of how they're all built. So nobody really stands out to me as a credible deep threat jump up for the ball over somebody type player. Um, I guess Josh Doxson is supposed to be that guy this year, but I don't know if he's really going to be capable of that. Um, and that offensive line, it's a little sus. Uh, it hasn't been you know all that great uh, in the past few years, kind of been up and down. I just... Look, I, I like Dwayne Haskins. I really like think that he's going to be uh, an effective quarterback for them. I, I really liked him coming out of the draft. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if I want him starting week one, um, which seems yeah. to be where they're headed right now. I, 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 you know, we're seeing a lot of quarterbacks get thrust into the job, um, you know, within six games even uh, every year. But you're, if you look at the Redskins schedule, which I don't have it in front of me right now, um, okay, but I, I know gotcha. it's I know it's tough right out of the gate. Um, they're going to be coming in. They're going to be coming into a pretty rough stretch, and and for Haskins to go into a stretch like that, having to play some tough teams with an mm-hmm. unproven offensive line and not a great receiving core, I just don't know if that's the best situation for him to start his NFL career in. No, that's a really good point. So they start off with two tough division games against the Eagles and Cowboys, like we were just saying. Then they play the Bears, who might have the best defense in the NFL heading into next season. You get a week off against the Giants. Uh, then you've got to play the Patriots, who are no joke at all, as we all know. Um, and that's your first five weeks of the season. It gets a little easier. You play the Dolphins, the 49ers. But then you play the Vikings. The Bills always bring forward a good defense later in the season. Uh, other strong defenses they got to face. they got to face the Panthers. Of course, they have to face the Cowboys and the Eagles again. Uh, and the Packers reloaded up on defense, too. So you, it, it is true. You have to find the right period to ease them into the season. Uh, because everyone knows it, it's not all fun in games like the preseason is where maybe you're not putting in all that effort. Uh, so you do need to find that stretch. Maybe it, it turns into that week, uh, I guess, week six, seven, and eight. Maybe if the Vikings are off, aren't off to that hot start where you can put them in against the Dolphins, 49ers, Vikings, because then he'll also have the Bills, Jets, and Lions after that. That seems like a more comfortable stretch to put him in, but I agree. That probably makes a lot of sense. You wouldn't want to thrust him in with tough competition, unless you are certain that he's the guy and he'll he'll be unfazed by it. And look, <coughs> you know, I, I'm I'm not a stand for Case Keenum kind of guy, but yeah. you know, we're we're talking about a player who was two years ago had a QB rating of seventy four point three, passer rating ninety eight point three. I mean, you know, he threw for thirty five hundred yards, threw for even more last year. Obviously, wasn't the same player. Uh, struggled with interceptions a lot more, um, didn't throw as many touchdowns. But, I mean, you know, he, he's serviceable. You know, you're, he's a veteran, 31 years old going into this season. Um, give him a shot. I mean, you, you traded for him anyway. Obviously, Haskins, you know, has the higher ceiling. But I think, you know, you're, you talk about higher floor going into those important games where if you're the Redskins, you know, you're looking at this team thinking, you know, we might be able to make the playoffs. Uh, and, and look how the look how the, the Ravens handled it last year with Joe Flacco starting the year. Uh, they did all right, uh, and then Lamar Jackson, you know, able to propel them in the second half of the year. He's more fresh for the playoffs. Obviously, he struggled in those first three quarters of that game uh, in the playoffs. But you know, 
you know, to have him have a little bit less pressure where he's not expected to come in and be the guy right away, carry the team to the playoffs. I mean, it was a pretty low pressure situation right away mm-hmm. um, where, you know, you, you had the veteran go out and show him how it's done and then him have a chance to, to kind of follow up. I think that's exactly what the Redskins should do. Now, um, I think if any coach is on the hot seat right now, it's Jay Gruden. Um, yeah. So he's going to have to, you know, get, he's playing for his future, you know, and, and I think he sees his best shot of, of staying in Washington beyond this season might be starting Dwayne Haskins, then that's probably what he's going to do. Um, but, you know, it, it, if we're talking about long-term success for the franchise, I think the right move is to, is to keep Haskins on the bench for the first couple of games. Yeah, it's interesting how that, that, I guess it's not ego, but that fear, I guess, can creep into making uh, the right decision and I guess it could come back to bite him in the butt anyways. If it doesn't work, that could definitely be the final straw for him. But it's interesting how those moves can play into a player's career, something completely out of your control, like getting into a situation where the coach is on the hot seat uh, could affect the start of your career and potentially damage the you know the prime of your career. Uh, certainly be interesting to watch in Washington. But, I mean, yeah, like I, we both agree. I feel like this should be the Eagles division. I I'm, I'm still not sure where I'm going between the Cowboys and the Redskins. I'd probably give the edge to the Cowboys just because of the consistency. And I think the, the, the Dak Prescott that we saw with the number one receiver like Amari Cooper and the boost that their team had in the second half of the regular season, I feel like is what we're going to get all year next year. Um, but, you know, it's another big prove-it year for him as well. Uh, the Redskins, I think, should should fare pretty well. I feel like they should be better than what they finished Seven and nine, so yeah, they'd probably be around that eight and eight. Maybe they can break into the nine and seven range. But the Giants, to me, are you know I feel like you agree with me are are probably the bottom tier of that division. I mean, we didn't bring them up once. Yeah, no, they're they're out of it. Yeah. I don't think there's any question. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone believes in Daniel Jones just yet. It's nope. kind of a you know look. He he's brought in and expected to. You know, carry this team. Obviously, Eli. They're they're still starting Eli, oddly enough, or at least I think hmm. they are. From last what I've heard, they um, might. So, uh, do you think you don't think they will? You think Daniel well, Jones I, I've is going to be the guy week one? I saw something. I guess it might have been two weeks ago that uh, it was a lot closer than people were uh, expecting it to be. So, of course, I mean, there's still so much time until the regular season starts. But uh, from what I had heard, I believe it was a, an NB, a show on NBC Sports. Uh, that the the competition had been heating up between them and was supposed to be a lot closer. Now, if that's just propaganda for the beginning of a season, who knows? But that's it could some, be very well. Some whoa big off season. Uh, yeah, that is that is whoa big off season. Left yeah. coach show, Blake. Yeah. You got me into that, by the way. I've been. All in on uh, listening to, to Adam Lefko's show. It's it's actually he's killing it. It's such a good podcast. He, he's so he, good. He's great. He's he's an amazing guy. And even the way he's been able to handle the show after losing a guy like Sims, he he turned it into something that was his own. Uh, so yeah. Oh yeah. No, the Lefko show is, is pretty good. Um, any other notes on the NFC East? I feel like we but we pretty much essentially agree. I you know I I just feel like last year I was so low on the Redskins and then they. Lost me $50 on a good old bet, but now I feel like I'm feeling better about them. They're probably going to end up being just as bad as the Giants because that just seems to be my luck. Well, I'll just say this on the the, um, Cowboys side. We're we're looking at a very similar team to last year. I mean, obviously they made a couple of smaller moves. You know, they bring in uh, Randall Cobb to be the slot receiver. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, made a, a couple of changes on the defensive side, but... They don't have a single rookie, at least according to OurLads.com. Uh, 
um, which is the best place for depth charts. They don't have a single rookie starting on either side of the ball going into next year, so they've got wow. a, an experienced team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one that I, I think that receiving core is pretty underrated. I, I liked yeah. Michael Gallup going into last year. I think he takes a step forward uh, with Amari Cooper being the guy at the number one. You know, the way that offense just absolutely transformed uh, after Cooper came over. I mean, it was incredible to see. It really was. Um, so, you know, Dak Prescott really, you know, I felt like took a step forward, uh, with Cooper, you know, on the other end of his throws, you know, he didn't have a guy, even when he came in, Des Bryant just really wasn't necessarily the same guy anymore. He was kind of on the tail end of his career. You know, this is his first chance to build up a repertoire with a number one receiver, uh, over an entire off season. Uh, and I'm excited to see what kind of results, uh, that's going to have, and obviously Jason Witten coming out of retirement is just hilarious yeah. because he was. Oh just, yeah, I think it's I think it's honestly just a, a cover up because of how bad he was in the Monday Night Football booth uh, yeah. that he just needed a, a, an excuse to get out of there, and this was the only way. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put that past him. He seems like he can revitalize <laughs> his uh, his image after how bad. And my favorite thing was his hands. You know, R- Ricky Bobby, whenever he was yeah. on camera, he would just put his hands up in the air and he couldn't set them down. And you go back and watch Jason Witten clips. Every time he's talking, his hands just magically appear on the show. And it's like, Jason, just tie him down. <laughs> relax. You'll be fine. I love it. I love yeah. it. All right. Yeah, that's it. That's it for me on the NFC East. Blake. Um, I think that's going to do it for our show yeah. here. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. moving on to the next round. He just nice. absolutely killed it. Um, I want to say it was 23 homers, 25. Um, he just beat Josh Bell. Uh, uh, Pete Alonso is coming up. He's who I'm really excited to see. Um, mm-hmm. He's been a knack killer this year. So uh, you all people tomorrow will know, uh, but I don't oh. yet. So don't Another spoil crazy it. thing about the home run <laughs> derby is that five out of the eight guys are making less than the prize money. For the home run derby, I love that. I that's think that's crazy. great. It's a huge incentive for them to do. Oh it. yeah! I, when they added that over the off season, I was so excited. Yeah, it does make it more enticing for these young guys to take it seriously. Now Vad's blasting twenty nine home runs in the first round, so he can get paid. But uh, I mean, but honestly, yeah. I don't blame him. <clears throat> yeah, no, not at all. But uh, yeah, so that'll wrap it up for this episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We're finally back on our bullshit. Uh, hopefully we get another yes, episode sir. out to you guys soon. I'll be moved down and have more free time at the night since I know nobody there. Um, make sure to follow <laughs> us both on Twitter. I'm at Blake Andrew Pace. Matt is at Matt Wyrick FBB. That's is for federal baseball. Uh, Matt, any last things you want to add in before we sign off? Uh, I, I think, you know, good to be back, good to be on the grind, and uh, yeah. I'm excited to keep moving forward with the podcast. And I think, like you said, with those drafts, we got to keep them going, so maybe we yeah, do one of those fun. a week, uh, work them in. We should get some segments going. Let's do some research, figure out, you know, I some like segments it. for people. I like it. We'll get some segments. Sounds good. Hell yeah. All righty. Well, thank right. you guys so much for listening, uh, and we'll see you on our next episode.